Joe Biden may have leaked his vice presidential pick. Zuckerberg and other web leaders show up in front of the House Judiciary Committee to testify once again. Democrats and Republicans cannot get along on any sort of relief bill package once again, and we may be going back to Mars. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning and welcome back to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. This is not going to be nearly as heavy of an episode as last week or yesterday's was. We are we don't have anywhere near the amount of stuff to get to today, but we still have a ton to get to, which is an oxymoron in and of itself. But we're going to get started right away so we can actually get through and get everybody out to work at a decent hour here today. But before we get started, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. We've got my shows. We've got The Generational Gap. We've got The Daily Ignoramus and Stephen Ignoramus' shows. We've got The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The Already Conservative, and The Freckles and Brits Show. So come on over and check us all out. Pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators, great people who love to stream and love to give you guys the news. We've got them here. They're waiting to give you the news. And help us make sure that we get them dinner and get them supported and keep the roofs over their heads. So come on over and check us out over there. All right, we're going to start off with stocks again, as usual today. So looking at the chart here over the previous close, it looks like we closed up, actually, a half a percentage point, a little bit more than a half a percentage point, 160 points, on a sort of steady climb throughout the day. So steady climbs, steady falls. We don't know what's going to happen, but we are going to be coming out and checking everything out, and hey, maybe we'll get that recovery after all. Let's see what IBD has to say, archived, because I can do that. From Ed Carson, Dow Jones futures fall after stock market rally runs on earnings. Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google still in focus. Dow Jones futures fell solidly Thursday morning, along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures with Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google earnings tonight. Qualcomm, Corvo, PayPal, Sprout Farmers Market, and O'Reilly Automotive are signaling buying opportunities overnight after reporting late on Wednesday. Huh. So people are going to fix their cars so they can go back to work or something or other. I don't know. The coronavirus stock market rally had a strong Wednesday as the major indices jogged while leaders ran. Stocks rallied on earnings reports from Fed Chief Jerome Powell, hitting at new asset purchases. Investors took in stride an antitrust hearing featuring the CEOs of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google Parent Alphabet, which we will be talking about later on today. Apple stock, Amazon stock, Facebook stock, and Google stock all rose more than 1% Wednesday. The stock market spotlight will continue on these tech titans, with all four reporting earnings late Thursday. In extended trade, PayPal stock rose on strong earnings after clearing a short consolidation Wednesday. Aggressive investors could buy PayPal stock, now Corvo stock, or gapped higher on earnings, signaling a move beyond a buy point. Fellow chipmaker Qualcomm, whose stock closed in buy range, is set to spike higher on strong earnings. And a licensing deal with Huawei. Sprout stock and O'Reilly stock, also closed just above buy points, are set to pop on blowout earnings. PayPal stock, Apple stock, and Amazon stock are on the IBD leaderboard. 
PayPal stock is on the IBD long-term leaders list. Google stock is on the long-term leaders watch list. PayPal stock, Sprout stock, and Facebook stock are on the IBD 50 list. Dow Jones futures today. Dow Jones futures fell 0.7% versus fair value, but off their worst levels. S&P 500 futures sank 0.7%. NASDAQ 100 futures retreated 0.6%, even with PayPal, Qualcomm, and other earnings winners. Lifting tech futures. Remember, overnight action in Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. So, looks like everything's coming down here a little bit after a decent day, but hey, possibly we'll see after the hearings and what everybody else said that Maybe it'll all go up once the markets open back up. We will have to see after 8.30 Central Time. Let's keep going. From CNBC, here's what happened to the stock market on Wednesday from Fred Imbert. Dow Jones Industrial Average rises 160 points. Fed to keep rates low for the long haul. In a statement, the Fed's policy-making committee said U.S. economic activity and employment have picked up somewhat in the recent months but remain well below their levels at the beginning of the year. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell told reporters the Fed will maintain its historic stimulus measures until they are confident the economy has weathered the crisis. Tech shares rise as CEOs uh, testify. Facebook closed 1.38% higher, Amazon ended the session up 1.11%, and Alphabet rose 1.32%, and uh, Apple advanced 1.92%. These companies posted solid gains, even as their CEOs testified in front of Congress over antitrust concerns. What happens next? Weekly jobless claims and quarterly gross domestic product data are set for release on Thursday. It will also be the busiest day of the earnings season, with Eli Lilly, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, and Gilead set to report. So a couple things that are getting ready to happen today. We will see what happens. We'll see what the jobless numbers do, because that's going to be a big driver as to what happens in the next stock market session. So let's start talking about the news. And... As we all know, we've all talked about the vice presidential race has been going on for a long time. My smart money was on Whitmer, but she fell like a sack of hammers after they figured out that uh, she was a tyrant and she wasn't afraid to show it. But it appears that even though no official announcement has been made, there has been an announcement made within the DNC. Let's read from ABC7 News, a local affiliate out of Los Angeles, California. Joe Biden's notes, Don't, do not hold grudges against Kamala Harris. Brought to us by the AP, by Bill Barrow and Andrew Harnick. Joe Biden uncharacteristically tight-lipped on Tuesday about the final stretch of his search for a vice president, but the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee seemed prepared to talk. Has anybody noticed that they had the essentially delegate count go already? They're not having an actual convention, but... They already had pretty much the swearing-in ceremony. He just has to stand up and say, I promise to be the Democratic nominee, and my hairy legs are going to carry us through this entire pandemic and make this country great. But I'm not going to say again, because that's going to be what the evil orange man says. You ever notice they never say the Democratic nominee? They always just say presumptive. Like, I thought this was a sealed thing at this point. Anyway... 
But the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee seemed prepared to talk about at least one leader, uh, uh, leading contender of California Senator Kamala Harris. Do it! Do it! Oh my God, do it! Yes, please. I want to see that shit show. As he took questions from reporters on Tuesday, Biden held notes that were captured by an Associated Press photographer. Harris's name was scrawled across the top, followed by five talking points. Do not hold grudges. Campaigned with me and Jill. Talented. Great help to campaign. Great respect for her. And yes, you can see. I don't know if this is photoshopped or not. It does look like it possibly could be photoshopped. Just kind of looking at it closer on a higher definition screen than what I saw this the first time. It does kind of look like it was added by computer later. But I don't know. But if that's what it's going to be, wow. Let's keep reading before I weigh in here. Those are all observations Biden has made about Harris before, but they take on a new significance following the recent political report that one of Biden's closest friends and co-chair of his vice presidential vetting committee, former Connecticut Senator Chris Dodd, still harbors concerns about Harris's tough debate stage performance and that she hasn't expressed regret. The comments attributed to Dodd have drawn condemnation, especially from influential Democratic women, who maintain that Harris is being held to a standard that wouldn't apply to a man running for president. The debate stage skirmish was one of the seminal moments of the Democratic primary. Harris, who was black, made or said Biden made very hurtful comments about his past work with segregationist senators before she slammed his opposition to busing as schools began to integrate which we all remember that. And I'm sorry, Harris would be the worst choice for right now. Now, I'm not saying that under any other democratic regime, she would be a bad choice because she does walk the party line. She's a California politician, and that's what they want to do is impose California on the rest of us. But Kamala Harris is a cop. She is or she worked with police, I don't, I'm not going to say she was a police, because she was never like a beat cop or anything, but she worked with the police to put people into jail in the name of the state of California. And sometimes putting people into jail for sentences longer than they deserved because they needed cheap labor for the California labor system. This is not a good person. And yet she is at the top of the list for all of this. Apparently, don't hold grudges. Yeah, there's... I don't know how you can go into a an election season with defund the police at the top of your list and then still consider Kamala Harris as a vice presidential pick. I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you square that fucking circle. I don't understand any of this. But apparently... Everybody over at the DNC has a different idea than I do. And once again, I don't know if this is putting a Mondale up at this point because they want to see Trump win again so they can have a mandate after that. Because if we'll notice through history, after a president had two terms, it's really, really likely, except for under Reagan, that the opposing party takes over the government with a mandate. I do have to wonder if that's going to be the case as well. So we'll see what happens with this. I've got a lot more about Biden. This is going to be a Biden-heavy episode. So let's keep going.
from Fox News. Trump says, Harris would be a fine choice as Biden running mate. From Paul Steinhauser. President Trump is weighing in on one likely top, uh, or one of the likely top contenders for a Democratic challenger, Joe Biden's considering as his running mate. As he was departing the White House for a trip to Texas on Wednesday, the president was asked about Senator Kamala Harris. Trump answered that the senator of California would be a fine choice as Biden's vice presidential nominee. Harris, a former Democratic presidential candidate who took aim at Biden last year on the debate stage, is considered to be one of the top contenders that the presumptive Democratic nominee is considering as his running mate. The former vice president told reporters Tuesday in Delaware that he would choose his running mate by the first week in August, Saturday, is the first day of the new month. Biden has said for a couple months that his running mate announcement would come in early August ahead of the Democratic National Convention, which starts on August 17th, the former vice president told reporters. I promise I'll, I'll let you know when I do. Speculation that Harris might be Biden's choice increased on Tuesday after notes that Biden held in his hand during a news conference had Harris's name scribbled across the top. As seen in a photo from the AP, the senator's name was followed by five talking points. Do not hold grudges. Campaigned with me and Jill. Talented. Great help to campaign. Great respect for her. The content of those notes are not new. Biden said similar things about Harris in the past couple months. But the appearance of the notes came soon after a report from Politico that former Senator Chris Dodd of Connecticut, a longtime Biden friend, who's co-chair of the campaign's vice presidential vetting committee, still had concerns about Harris due to her takedown of Biden in the first Democratic presidential primary debate in June of last year. And we will stop this article at this point because a lot of this is what was in the last one we just read. But yeah, I mean, it's... I... I don't know how you square the circle with this because the busing thing was just, it was Kamala Harris's one good debate performance, but she doesn't debate worth a shit at any other point. And once again, she's a police officer. She put people in prison. She slept her way to the top, which would be an ironic twist of fate to put her up next to Joe Biden, who likes to sniff all little girls. I don't know what's, what timeline this is, what is happening here, what meteor hit the earth, and why we're sitting here like this. But yeah, apparently most people think that Harris is going to be the place, and I mean, President Trump is probably sharpening his strategy at this point. But this could also be a trap because there's the GOP team is sitting up trying to sharpen their strategy against somebody who is probably going to be an easy takedown, and then they're going to sit back and put somebody relatively up, unknown up there instead. I don't know what's going to happen with this. And anybody who tries to predict it, I'm thinking might actually be wrong at this point. Let's keep going here. I'll drop this one. From CNN, Biden lays out racial equity portion of economic platform in a Delaware speech from Eric Bradner and Sarah Mucha. So I want to preface this just a little bit. This is a couple days old at this point, but we didn't get to cover it yesterday. But during the bar hearing, like towards the last hour of the bar hearing, Joe Biden mysteriously came up out of his basement and made a speech. And almost nobody talked about it. I had to actually dig for this to see anything that came out of the speech here. But let's see what CNN has to say from this. Presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden on Tuesday. 
detail his plan to pump stimulus spending into black and brown owned businesses and advance first-time homebuyers a $15,000 refundable tax credit as part of an economic plan focused on racial equity. The proposal is the fourth and final plank on Build Back Better economic agenda that Biden has rolled out in weekly speeches throughout July. His first three planks focused on manufacturing, clean energy, and what he called a care the caregiving economy. The former vice president offered an overview of his proposal in a speech Tuesday in Wilmington, Delaware, one in which Biden also slammed President Trump, no way, handling of race and the economy, as he has done in each of his previous speeches, laying out his economic agenda. Glass houses, Biden. He's determined to stoke division and chaos. It's not good for the country. But Donald Trump, he doesn't care. He's a bad dude. His campaign is failing, and he's looking for a political lifeline. And I'm going to send my friend Corn Pop in with Straight Razor. He's a bad dude. Biden said. Biden on Tuesday criticized Trump for deploying federal agents to Portland and other cities during the protests over racial inequality and police brutality. Even though the person that you worked for, your boss, was the one that signed the NDAA and made all of that possible. I said from the outset of the recent protests, there's no place for violence or destruction on the property. These are some bad dudes. Peaceful protesters should be protected and arsonists and anarchists should be prosecuted. And local law enforcement can do that. Biden has lambasted Trump for emboldening racists over the course of his 2020 campaign and called the president a racist at a recent fundraiser in the wake of the George Floyd shooting and protests against racial injustice and police violence across the nation. The former vice president has broken with some progressives on policy matters. He has said, for example, that he opposes defunding the police, but has also backed a number of reforms, including beefing up Justice Department oversight of police departments and undoing Trump's actions on immigration. Hundreds of billions of dollars in stimulus spending to help the economy rebound from the coronavirus pandemic are the core of Biden's plans. His racial equity plan would devote $30 billion to an effort to bolster small businesses owned by black and brown people. Racist. Money that would come from a $300 billion research and development stimulus fund. He detailed earlier this month, his campaign said that $30 billion worth of investment would turn or in turn make $150 billion in venture capital and low interest loans available until people devolt on them and you crash the economy once again. Biden's plan would help low- and middle-income people buy houses by advancing first-time buyers a refundable tax credit worth $15,000 that could be used toward a down payment. Biden's plan also aims to spur the construction of 1.5 million new homes and public housing units. Much of the 26-page plan has campaign released Tuesday focused on how proposals Biden has already offered would close the racial wealth gap and bolster black, brown, Asian, and Native American families and businesses. One new proposal would aim to help states modernize their criminal justice data and record-keeping infrastructure and would automatically seal records for categories of nonviolent offenses selected by each state. So, once again, the federal government is going to impose top-down control and spend your money, your money, trying to bolster the economy rather than taking their hands off and trying to let you spend your own money to bolster the economy. And the only thing that they want you to spend money on is a house that you're not going to have a job and be able to afford under their uh, plans and economic uh, ideas.
I have read part of the plans here. I haven't read through the entire Joe Biden economic platform, but just from what I'm seeing from this, and I've read about a third of it so far, it, it is a disaster for the economy, and it is a lot more top-down control. Even though they keep saying that the progressives aren't the ones that are going to be in control, it is a very, very highly a politically progressive agenda. So... I'm going to continue to read that as we go along. We're going to step out of this CNN article here and move on to even more Joe Biden news. As Joe Biden's VP pick looms, Susan Rice says Trump is protecting Putin from Avery Harper. In an interview with the hosts of ABC's The View on Wednesday, Susan Rice, former National Security Advisor for Barack Obama and potential vice presidential pick for Joe Biden, slammed President Trump's response to reports that the Russian government was paying bounties to Taliban affiliates to kill American servicemen and women in Afghanistan. He is absolutely a failure, as our commander-in-chief, Rice said, and all the while he's protecting Putin, justifying Russian behavior. In the same interview, he said... Well, you know, China does much worse. And then says, and America has done the same thing as Russia's during, or Russians during the Afghan war. And it's just outrageous. Where is our president, our commander-in-chief, standing up for our servicemen and women? He could care less, and he's gone to some very bizarre and very inexplicable reasons for always giving Putin the benefit of the doubt and taking steps that benefit Russia at America's expense. Russia, Russia, Russia. It's, it was Russia. Rice also blamed Trump for the surging number of deaths due to COVID-19, citing the fact that Trump disbanded the National Security Council unit established during the Obama administration to plan for pandemic response. We prepared the incoming administration with a pandemic for dummies playbook and a tabletop exercise and so many other briefings, Rice said. So the fault here, the fault here, the tragic loss of 150,000 Americans, citation needed please, and counting is on Donald Trump and his gross mishandling of the pandemic. She also called Trump's statements, indicating that he might not accept the outcome of November's presidential election disturbing. You mean, given the fact that Hillary Clinton still hasn't accepted the results, and neither have you, by the way, Rice, of the 2016 election. Our country rests on the peaceful transfer of power and the recognition that the voters get to decide. So it's clear that Trump will stop at nothing to try and stay in power, Rice said. She later added, Americans have to decisively reject this uh, corruption and abuse of power at the ballot box. It has to be a resounding defeat of Donald Trump and those in the Senate who enable him to discredit and undermine our democracy. During the interview, Rice confirmed that she is under consideration to be Joe Biden's running mate come November. I am apparently among those being considered for this important role, Rice told the hosts. So, yeah, a couple things to unpack here. First off, there's no way people are going to vote for Biden. I mean, it's possible. There was no way anybody was going to vote for Trump. So it's entirely possible. I just can't figure out why anybody would do that. Why anybody would hate their country that much that they would vote for Kamala Harris for president or whoever the running mate is. And that's a big part of the problem here is we don't know who the president is actually going to be under the Biden administration because you know full well that he is in cognitive decline. He has Alzheimer's. And he's going to be forced to step down. They're going to be forced to 25th Amendment, this guy. And put whoever the vice president is up into power. So yeah, whoever is running here is going to be the president. If Biden gets elected. 
And I just, I looked at the bar hearing, and these people are just completely unhinged at this point. All they know is about staying in power, and all they're talking about is Trump trying to stay in power. Meanwhile, we're all sitting out here, wondering when we're going to get our fucking freedoms back. Seriously. Let's keep going off of this here, because I don't think it's going to be Rice. As much as they think it's going to be Rice, I don't think Rice is going to be the one. So I've got a tweet and then an article to go with it here from Keith Boykin, The Lincoln Project, Susan Collins, Never Stands Up to Trump. Collins isn't an independent, she's a fraud. And then they've got an advertisement video here that I wanted to show you guys. And then they've got an article from Fox News that goes with it. <gasps> Excuse me. And I've got the hiccups while I'm doing this. Let me get your ears on here. <gasps> while I hiccup through this video. Great independent leaders rise from Maine's hard soil. Always have and always will. Take Margaret Chase Smith. When the men in the Senate were terrified of Joseph McCarthy, she called him out. Just like Susan Collins stands up to Donald Trump. Oh, wait. Susan Collins never stands up to Donald Trump. That's why Maine is done with her weakness and excuses. Collins isn't an independent. She's a fraud. Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump control her voice. She makes excuses for corruption, for criminality, for cruelty, all while pretending she's worried, concerned, hoping Donald Trump learns a lesson this time. He never does because she never stands up, never speaks out, never does what a Maine leader should do. Susan Collins doesn't work for Maine, she works for them. And Maine deserves a leader, not a Trump stooge. It's time for Susan Collins to go. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. All right, so that was the Lincoln Project advertisement, and don't do what the evil orange man does. Don't work with the government. Unless our people are in the government. Do you see this? No, you can't see that over there. Well, behind my picture there, if I scroll it up there, I have an advertisement for the Michelle Obama podcast. Who the fuck wants to listen to that? I didn't do anything meaningful except be or bang the president. Listen to my podcast. That would be like having a Monica Lewinsky podcast. All right, but let's keep going off of this here. I don't want to go down that topic. I want to talk, go down a different topic here. Guy Benson bashes clown crew Lincoln Project over ad calling Susan Collins a Trump stooge. From Victor Garcia, Fox News contributor Guy Benson responded on Twitter Wednesday to a new ad. Let me get the live chat back up here. To a new ad from the Lincoln Project, a group of one-time Republican political consultants that painted Senator Susan Collins as a treacherous supporter of President Trump. The notion that Susan freaking Collins is a treacherous Trump bot who never bucks the party and is controlled by men is ludicrously insulting, tweeted Benson, the host of Fox News Radio's The Guy Benson Show. As a conservative, I've been frustrated by her votes many times over the years. Benson did not call out the Lincoln Project by name, instead of referring to them as the clown crew. Titled Trump Stooge, the ad hits Collins as a fraud and says her voice is controlled by Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Susan Collins never stands up to Donald Trump, the narrator says in the ad. That's why Maine is done with her weakness and excuses. Polls indicate that Collins faces a close race against Democrat Sarah Gideon in the November election. Collins, who is seeking a fifth Senate term, is only Republican from New England in the current con Congress. 
Collins received national attention in the fall in 2018 when she voted to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court amid a national controversy over allegations of sexual misconduct against the nominee, which disappeared as soon as he was confirmed in, by the way. Earlier this year, she voted to acquit Trump in the Senate impeachment trial, but described the president's behavior on dealing with Ukraine as wrong and frustrated some members of her own party by joining Democrats in their push to hear from the former National Security Advisor John Bolton. The mustache. One of the two biggest knocks against her, voting record, Kavanaugh confirmation, and impeachment acquittal, she offered detailed, thoughtful explanations and voted the same way she did when Dem presidents were in office. Benson said in a subsequent tweet, conservatives trying to oust her have zero credibility. None. It, these guys are not conservatives. The Lincoln Project, no, they're trying to push for a socialist agenda because they want to get in on the Politburo. When the Politburo comes in, they want to be friends of the, the party, capital T, capital P. So... Yeah, no, these are not conservatives. Not one little bit. Alright, let's keep going. From the Daily Wire, CVS mail-in voting experiment shows potentially serious issue. So this is actually an older story too, but Daily Wire is first uh, uh, talking about it. I know I've been hearing about it for about a week now, but I want to I wanna share this with you guys because I want to see what comes in. An experiment conducted by CBS News to test the integrity of mail-in voting has led the Republican National Committee to warn of disaster if the upcoming election hinges on it. Because of the coronavirus, 2020 marks a presidential election in which mail-in voting could play a pivotal role, for which reason CBS News This Morning co-host Tony DeCoupel, I don't know how that's how you pronounce it, conducted an experiment with a fake P.O. box to determine if ballots were ad uh, adequately counted. The couple spent, or sent out 100 mock ballots in the Philadelphia area using the same size envelope, weight, and class of mail to simulate genuine mail-in votes, albeit without the expedited election mail insignia. After the post office box was set up, 100 more faux ballots were sent out. Gee, that really sounds like election fraud and mail fraud. I understand what he's doing, and I appreciate what he's trying to show here, but that sounds an awful lot like mail fraud. We're going to see somewhere between probably 80 and 100 million voters receiving their ballot that way, a former Arizona election fix, uh, official told DeCoupel. After a week, 97% of the ballots DeCoupel mailed had been returned. Three simulated persons, or 3% of voters, were effectively disenfranchised by mail by giving their ballots a week to arrive, CBS noted. In a close election, 3% could be pivotal. Even four days after mailing the second round of fake ballots, 21% of the fake votes had failed to materialize. Almost half of states allow voters to receive ballots less than a half a week before the election. Oh, go away, Daily Wire. When DeCoupel inquired about the missing votes, a postal worker was unable to locate them. I don't see anything back there for you, the worker said. That's all I have back there right now. The worker later found them, adding, they had them somewhere else. Despite the missing votes, CBS noted they did not or they did receive a misplaced birthday card. We got a birthday card from Mike Turani, DeCoupel said. Have a sweet birthday, get it? There's a B on top. President Trump has recently taken flag for claiming that mail-in voting is potentially rife with voter fraud and subject to interference from the foreign governments. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, maybe, but no, that's not the problem. Mail-in voting is rife 
with voter fraud and subject interference from local governments like the US government and local postal carriers with a grudge no it's not foreign interference that's going to be the problem here alright let's keep going A.G. Barr likewise maintained in his contentious Tuesday hearing on Capitol Hill that common sense dictates that foreign entities would seek to interfere in U.S. elections through counterfeit mail-in voting. Now, that's going to be a lot of local stuff, not foreign stuff. According to the USPS, voters should return their mail-in ballots at least one week prior to the election. The Postmaster General declined CBS News' request for an interview, but issued a statement that said in part, we employ a robust and proven process to ensure proper handling of all election mail, including ballots. This includes close coordination and partnerships with the election officials at the local and state levels. Yeah, no. This... I can see so many avenues where this becomes fraudulent. And yes, from everything that we're seeing, I mean, Milwaukee is still not done. Counting all the ballots from the April 17th primary. It's the end of July and they're still not done counting the ballots from there, from Milwaukee. And that's one city. We are not, we might not know by inauguration day. We might not see all of the ballots counted by that point. It's, it's a good possibility that we don't see any of this, that we don't know, that nobody knows who the president is come January. It is, a 100% real possibility. And in spite of the fact that the House has the majority, or as majority Democrat, I'm sorry, of course the House has a majority, they're a much bigger chamber of Congress. In spite of the fact that the House has a Democratic majority right now, based on the delegation that comes from the states, the GOP actually still has a majority in the House, and the delegation from the House is going to be what decides the president if it is contested. It'll go to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court kicks it back over to the House, and the House picks the president. Trump wins again. And then he becomes, then we hear four years of illegitimate president, in spite of the fact that we have constitutional workarounds to make sure that we always have a president. This is going to be, 2020 to 2024 is going to be a shit show because nobody's going to accept the results of this. I know that they're jumping up and down, waving their arms and screeching the fact that Trump isn't going to accept the results of the election. Well, neither are you. And I wouldn't blame you. Just as close to the election as it is where you're trying to change the rules at the last minute because of a pandemic and you didn't have a plan in place to do this, nobody is going to know what the hell is going on in November and up into January and even beyond. So, prepare for it because it's going to be a tough one. All right, let's talk a little bit more about this hearing from uh, Tuesday. Jim George says Dems cut off GOP video at bar hearing. Here's the full version from Tyler Olson. Representative Jim Jordan, the top Republican in the House Judiciary Committee, said on Fox & Friends on Wednesday morning that Democrats cut off a video he showed during his opening statement at a Tuesday hearing with A.G. Barr before it ended. They wouldn't let us complete our video. They wouldn't let him answer questions, Jordan uh, said. They pulled the plug on the video, host Steve Ducey asked. Yeah, it wasn't all the way through. We had more to show. They wouldn't let him answer the questions, and there was a point where they weren't even going to let him take a restroom break, Jordan responded. 
the House Judiciary Committee, or GOP, posted the full video on its Twitter account Tuesday after the opening statement by Jordan, a comparison between the video posted by the Judiciary Committee Republicans and the tape from the hearing shows the 10-minute video was cut off about two minutes before its conclusion. Even that time, the video shows a woman holding a sign that says, Good Cops Quit, while rioters smash the windows of an Amazon store in the background. Then a person yelling at the individual filming to put your phone down. It shows a cardboard police officer wearing a Klan hood being burned in an effigy, while the person holds a Black Lives Matter sign nearby and others loudly cheer the burning. There's also a film of a 7-Eleven being looted, fires burning, are being burning and other stores being looted for big ticket items, including an 85-inch Sony television. I didn't even know they made an 85-inch television. Learn something new every day. The video, according to the House Judiciary Committee uh, Chairman Gerald Nadler, was out of order. He said they had not provided adequate notice that they were going to play it and criticized its length. I hope that Mr. Jordan will never complain about the length of my opening statements, Nadler said after Jordan's video was cut off. I am going to insert committee's audio-visual policy into the record of this hearing and note that the minority did not give the committee the 48-hour notice required by the policy. Nadler then moved to Barr's opening statement. As racially charged protests have swept across the nation in recent months following the death of George Floyd in the custody of Minneapolis Police Department, for which one officer was charged with the murder and three others charged as accessories, the Trump administration's handling of such protests has come under scrutiny. Democrats, including Nadler himself, challenged Barr Tuesday on how his department has dealt with the protests, many of which have turned into violent riots, especially those outside a federal courthouse in Portland that has essentially been under siege for months. So, yeah, there was definitely more to that video. We probably would have uh, been good to see it. I didn't get to see the opening of this. I didn't realize this was going on until about two hours into it, so... I didn't see any of the opening off of this. I would love, I'm going to go back to Twitter and find the video and see what it was that went along with this. But yeah, it was just, that whole hearing was painful. Recl you know who would like to reclaim his time? I want to reclaim my time from listening to all of that campaign ad coming from the Democratic Party. Can I, can I reclaim my time? Reclaiming my time here. So that's what we see off of this here. Let's talk about this hearing coming out of big tech firms from CNBC. Big tech testifies Bezos promises action if investigation reveals misuse of seller data. Zuckerberg defends Instagram acquisition from Lauren Feiner. For more than five hours, members of the House Antitrust Subcommittee grilled the CEOs of App, uh, Alphabet, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook four of the country's five most valuable companies with only Microsoft missing because Bill Gates is trying to put RFID trackers into his vaccines. On a wide range of matters, the CEOs dialed through the video conference while most of the committee members were president in Congress, where Chairman David Sicilian of Rhode Island repeatedly reminded them to wear masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19. For a full recap, check out CNBC's live blog of the event below and check out some highlights from the hearing at the following links. While the topic was ostensibly antitrust and anti-competitive behavior, several Republican members of the committee attacked Facebook, especially for allegedly suppressing conservative voices. Despite the fact that, as Representative Jamie Raskin of Maryland pointed out, the most popular posts on the site consistently come from right-leaning outfits such as Ben Shapiro, Franklin Graham, and Breitbart. Other members of the subcommittee seemed unprepared with details, with notable exceptions like Representative Pramila Jaipal, who pressed Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg on whether he'd 
ever threatened to clone a company who he was trying to acquire. And Amazon's Jeff Bezos on how company uses data from third-party sellers to inform its own product cre uh, creation. Overall, Alphabet's Sundar Pichai received the most scrutiny, while Apple's Tim Cook received the least. And there is the five-hour video of the full hearing, which we are not going to sit and watch on the show. But yeah, that was... I didn't watch this one. I couldn't do this two days in a row. I absolutely couldn't, but who cares what these private companies do as far as trust goes? Now, of course, if they're going to be public platforms and host government uh, alerts, then we really need to sit back and think more about their banning procedures and how they ban people off and how they silence people up because that's a bigger issue than whether or not they can form a trust or not. So let's look into that in, because these people are getting government subsidies on this on the wake of all of this. And if you want to beat off the antitrust, stop giving them fucking subsidies. Let them go on their own. I'm willing to bet that they can probably make it on their own at this point. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg might have to sell your data a couple more times to China. But other than that, they can probably make it on their own at this point. And as once again, I always mention... Always be prepared to go take a look at some alt tech options as well. I need to do some more on my alt tech because I do have the gab, the mines, and I don't touch them ever. Plus the BitChute account, which I don't know if is uploading any of my videos or not. But yeah, always keep a look at alt tech. We do need to sit and prepare. And like I said, if if they put the president on Parler or Gab, these people would flock to Parler and Gab instead of calling it a Nazi site, because they need to be the first person to be the reply guy on President Trump's tweets. Let's keep going here. From NBC News, very alarmed, dreamers slam Trump's new limits on DACA program. They are profiting from us, our work, and our efforts, said one DACA recipient. They do not want to give us the humanity we deserve. I had an interesting conversation with Harvey McLeod last night. It was a short conversation, but it was an interesting one. And we might have something being set up here in the near future to go along with that uh, details to come. I need to check with my co-host on that, but we might actually have something going along with this. Uh, the Trump administration's announcement on Tuesday that it would limit the legal protections of hundreds of thousands of young adults who immigrated to this country as children was slammed by recipients and advocates of the program known as DACA. They're profiting us, or from us, from our work, from our efforts, said Lydia Aravalo, a DACA recipient, after learning that the Trump administration will now limit DACA renewals to one year instead of two year and reject new applications. They do not want to give us the humanity we deserve. It's a new setback after the Supreme Court's recent ruling that allowed the Obama-era program to stay in place. That ruling determined that the administration acted illegally in its 2017 plan to dismantle DACA and asked it to present new arguments to eventually proceed in that direction, although it did not rule in the legality of the program. Alberto Gutierrez was planning to apply for the first time. Now I won't have a social security number and be able to secure employment, he said. Well, what were you waiting for? I mean, this program has been in place since, what, 20, 2014, was it? 2013, I think. Second term Obama was when it was in place. Oh, it says it right there. I don't have to sit and guess. The DACA program was launched by the administration of former President Obama in 2012. It's designed to... Oh, it was all the way... So it was first term Obama still. 
It's designed to temporarily protect young people who came to the United States at a young age and allow them to work and study without fear of deportation. It's such an uncertainty not to be able to plan my life, said Adonius Arevalo, who just renewed his two-year permit and is afraid his benefit will be reduced. So, I'm going to save my commentary on the legality of it because I don't know everything about this, but I do think that my co-hosts and I need to sit down and have a conversation with somebody who knows something about this. And I do think that I have somebody in play or in mind that does know something about this. So we could possibly be having an interview coming up here in the near future. So look out for that. But I mean, for the guy that's applying for the first time, it's 2020, you've had eight years. You have had eight years to get this done and done right. So, and once again, who knows if the Supreme Court is even going to let this fly because that may be challenged as well. But, yeah, no. DACA is nothing but a club to beat Republicans with. And it does sound like uh, the president might be falling right into their trap. Let's keep going. I'm going to save this one. So, archived here from the USA Today. Suburban lifestyle dream. Trump attacks far, uh, fair housing rule and tweet call, uh, critics call vile from John Pritz and David Jackson. Doubling down on a campaign theme aimed at the suburbs he must hold to win re-election, President Trump asserted Wednesday that bedroom communities would no longer be bothered by nearby low-income housing. Referencing an Obama-era anti-discrimination housing regulation his administration nixed last week, Trump tweeted that suburbanites would now experience lower crime rates and a higher property value because of the rule's demise, drawing a quick rebuke from critics who pointed out the provision was an attempt to address racial segregation. Trump, who polls or who poll shows trailing in battleground states, has tried to frame Democrats as seeking to abolish the nation's suburbs, a key constituency for both parties. Democrats, including the party's presumptive uh, presidential nominee, Joe Biden, have accused Trump of race-baiting. Yeah, this was probably not a good idea. I'm happy to inform all the people living their suburban lifestyle dream that you'll no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low-income housing built in your neighborhood, Trump tweeted as he flew to Texas for several events Wednesday. Your housing prices will go up based on the market and crime will go down. The message drew fire from several Trump critics. Yeah, I'm, I can see this in both directions, to be completely honest. First off, the way he worded it is probably the reason that it's going on like this. But also, we do have to keep in mind that if you do build a project in an area, housing values do tend to go down. It's just a fact of life. It happens just that way. absolutely happens that way all the time around the country. Now, live where you want as long as you can go up and afford where you live. And build where you want if you can afford to build there. If you can afford the hit to rent or have that much faith in the state to continue to paying your uh, paying rent to you, then build where you want. Absolutely do. But I don't know. Just the way that was worded is, it's an attack ad, written. He wrote the attack ad for his opponents. So, yeah, you should be able to build, move, and live where you want as long as you can afford to live there and have your property taxes there. But no, no, absolutely no. That was the worst way that you could word this as well.
let's keep going here. From Twitter, I've got a tweet here that I wanted to point out to you guys here. The media's fear-mongering worked, and then a picture. This was the reason that I wanted to bring this up here, was because of this uh, picture that we have right here. New poll asked Americans how many people in the country have had COVID-19 or died from it. Their answer, 20% of Americans have had it, 9% of Americans have died from it. Reality, 1% of Americans have had it, and 0.04% of Americans have died from it. Uh, the picture comes from Unbiased America, but I actually ran the numbers, and that is 100% correct that those are what the numbers say. Now, of course, and as I pointed out in the comment that's highlighted up here, the straw man that they love to use in this situation is, But I thought you were pro-life and always said that all lives matter. Ha ha ha, own! And that is the one that they come up and bring up to you every time. Well, you keep saying that if you could save one life through abortion, it would all be worth it. And you say all lives matter all the time, so how can you come out and say that 0.4% of Americans dying from this is such an evil thing? If people are sick, we quarantine them. We do not quarantine the healthy. We do not shut down the economy for healthy people. So yeah, I just wanted to point that out to you, show you this picture here, and uh, show you what's actually going on with the world in the numbers. Let's keep going. Report, Pelosi compares Democratic Relief Bill GOP proposal to zoo animals unable to mate. Wow, that's an image that I didn't need. From Eric Quintanar. Republican and Democratic officials are struggling to negotiate a fourth coronavirus relief package amidst a soon-expiring July 31st deadline for the boosted unemployment benefits and a gap between the policy of ideas being proposed by either party. The struggle is so big, in fact, Nancy Pelosi reportedly compared it to trying to breed a giraffe with a flamingo. Wow, that's another image that I didn't need. It's like a giraffe and a flamingo, said Pelosi in a meeting on Tuesday, reports Politico, citing people at the meeting. They're both at a zoo. A dumb person may think they could mate for offspring. A smart person knows that's impossible. That's our bills. They're unable to mate. I'm pretty sure dumb people know that a bird and a mammal can't mate. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin were also in the meeting, as was the Senate Majority or Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who reportedly compared the Democratic bill to a golden retriever and the GOP proposal to a chihuahua. That's a little more apt, I think. A golden retriever can't mate with a chihuahua. You have a chihuahua. We have a beautiful lion. What the fuck timeline is this? What the hell... Oh, these people, the people we have elected to Congress, my God. Nobody has any idea what's going on. Pelosi reportedly then helpfully reminded the Democratic Senate leader that lions can't actually mate with chihuahuas either. Glasses already came off for that. I can't do that again. Go to hell, Shapiro. The Republican proposal unveiled by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell earlier this week is an attempt to counter the multi-trillion dollar socialist manifesto Democrats passed in the House back in May. 
While the two proposals agree on the federal government sending out another round of $1,200 stimulus checks, other policy disagreements abound. For example, the Republican proposal suggests reining in the boosted unemployment insurance benefits. The Democratic bill wants to extend the $600 boost in the next year. And it's just the wording of this. You have a chihuahua, we have a beautiful line. Yeah, well, that just shows the differences in what they want the federal government to be in your lives. Now, I don't believe for a second that the GOP wants to be just a chihuahua in your lives. I'm sure that they would want to be at least closer to a golden retriever, a Labrador, or something of that size in your lives. Something that still has the possibility to take up your life, but just the oversized federal government response that the Democrats want to have, yes, that is going to be an overbloated, beautiful lion. Possibly a rhinoceros at this point. They want to be that in your lives. This massive thing in your lives. And that's the reason I'm a federalist too, by the way, because we don't need that much in our lives. We need to step back the government. Not keep growing the fucking thing. I'm going to say that too, because I want to see my co-host's reaction to those same words. Alright, Seattle residents slam defund the police as radical experiment during city budget meeting from Dom Colicci over at Fox News. I gotta keep moving on here. We're uh, already pushing on the hour mark and I still got a couple articles to go plus a thing I like and a thing that I hate. Hundreds of Seattle residents spoke up about proposals to defund the police during a city council budget meeting on Wednesday according to reports. The council is considering a plan that could slash the budget of the city's police department by 50% resulting in layoffs for hundreds of officers, as are all as Seattle deals with the coronavirus outbreak and frequent riots and other unrest since the May 25th death of George Floyd in police custody in Minneapolis. While the defund the police effort was initially popular in the city, opponents of the plane, our plan have been growing more vocal, Q13 Fox of Seattle reported. Defunding the police is a radical experiment that will hurt the vulnerable, one member of the public calling, into the phone-in meeting told the council, according to Q13 Fox. In addition, the Seattle Police Officers Guild, the union representing the police, said it has collected more than 20,000 signatures on a stop defunding petition, the station reported. But proponents of defund the police plan say it would be part of an effort to repair race relations in the city following years of excessive force against minorities and other claims of mistreatment. Nothing less than defunding will begin to heal the violence committed by police against Seattle's black, brown, and indigenous communities, said another of the estimated 300 people who signed up to address the council in a process that took about three hours, Q13 Fox reported. Seattle has been the epicenter of rioting that has been seen since many, er, in many protests. Wow, I can't read. Seattle has been the epicenter of the rioting that has been seen in many cities across the U.S. The unrest that there has included the infamous CHOP, which protesters took over about six blocks of the city's Capitol Hill neighborhood, looking to establish a police-free area until the city ultimately regained control, but not before at least two fatal shootings took place. And, may I add, they went for the mayor's house as well. Once they started going for the mayor's house, then all bets were off. Let's keep that in mind as well as we look forward onto this. And, yeah, you're seeing this all across America. People are not happy with the defund the police movement. They're not happy with the Black Lives Matter movement. We see black people painting over the Black Lives Matter murals and trying to get them eliminated. You notice you're not hearing about those anymore because they're not politically expedient anymore. Now we have to go back to the virus as well. 
and we can't focus on any of the rioting unless the police are doing or the federal agents are doing something in uh, Portland. Then we can talk about what's going on in Portland. But no, defund the police is not a popular idea. It is a radical idea that most of America doesn't want, and I do very much encourage all of the rest of the Democrats to continue running on it if they can. Let's keep going here. I just got a few more from Madison.com. Madison police arrest two women for attack on Senator Tim Carpenter. So remember last month, late last month, we were talking about this. It was before the end of Ed's World because I talked about this with Steven actually when he was on the last episode. But uh, remember way back when, when the protesters went out and beat the crap out of a gay progressive uh, state senator here in Wisconsin up in Madison? Well, two people came in and turned themselves in from Emily Hamer. These are the two suspects, Samantha Hamer and Karita O'Re... This chick has the same last name as the author of the uh, article. That's weird. I just noticed that. And Karita O'Reilly. Two women were arrested Monday on tentative charges of substantial battery for the attack on Senator Tim Carpenter during a protest last month, Madison Police reported. Spokesman Joel Despain said the two Madison women, Samantha Hamer, or Hamer and Karita O'Reilly, turned themselves in Monday afternoon. Carpenter was beaten after taking a video of protesters to uh, the night of June 23rd along, with, or along the 200 block of West Main Street. Earlier in the evening, protesters told members of the media to leave the scene and demanded that observers not take photos or videos during the demonstrations that night, which included tearing down two statues on the Capitol ground and throwing a Molotov cocktail into the city-county building. Carpenter, who was also headed to work at the Capitol around midnight and was walking by the protest, appeared not to be aware of the earlier demands not to take photos. Around 10 people punched and kicked Carpenter while he was on the ground, police reported. Paramedics treated Carpenter, but he declined to offer to go to the hospital. According to police, at one point, his phone and glasses were taken, but they were returned. Hamer and O'Reilly were tentatively charged with substantial battery and robbery with the use of force, both as party to the crime. Both were being held in Dane County Jail as of Monday. So, yeah. Those are those are the two women that went out and beat up the dude. So, yeah. You are not safe if you're in the government. If you're on their side or anything else. They are out for blood at this point And they will just... It'll be like a hammer. They'll do it indiscriminately. Alright, let's keep going. From CNN... U.S. to withdraw nearly 12,000 troops from Germany in move that will cost billions and take years from Ryan Brown and Zachary Cohen. The U.S. is moving forward with President Donald Trump's plan to withdraw nearly 12,000 troops from Germany, a decision that has attracted uh, bipartisan congressional opposition and royal uh, key allies who see the move as a blow to NATO. Secretary of Defense Mark Esper acknowledged the plan will cost billions to execute, when he formally announced the decision on Wednesday from the Pentagon, U.S. defense officials said it will take years to relocate the troops. The plan to pull U.S. troops from the longtime NATO ally has been met with broad bipartisan opposition amid concerns that it will weaken the U.S. military's position via V Russia. However, the Trump administration has decided to proceed with the move. 
Trump defended the decision on Wednesday, saying the troop drawdown was taking place because Berlin was not spending the NATO target of 2% of its GDP on defense and because Germany was taking advantage of the U.S. We spend a lot of money on Germany. They take advantage of us on trade and take advantage of the military, so we're reducing the force, he told reporters at the White House. They're trying to protect Europe, and they're there to protect Germany, and Germany is supposed to pay for it, Trump added. We don't want to be responsible anymore. Defense officials, however, said Wednesday that the decision on where to house the U.S. troops leaving Germany was not influenced by whether the new host country was meeting the 2% target. In fact, Belgium and Italy, the two countries that will be receiving U.S. troops from Germany and spend an even smaller percentage on the defense that Berlin does. Yeah, I don't know what's going on behind this decision. I really don't. I know that they're just being shuffled around. I mean, they're not bringing them home. But they're being shuffled around, excuse me, around the rest of Europe for whatever reason. And yeah, like I said, Belgium doesn't spend 2% either. I could see if this was just a plan to say, okay, well, you're not going to spend your 2%, then you're not going to get the 2% level of protection that we get out of this. But yeah, they're going back to Belgium too. So I don't understand any of this. I could probably sit back and have a nice conversation with Seawall, and he could probably explain a little bit more of it to me. But yeah, I don't necessarily see what the point of this is, other than it is spending a bunch of money. So this is happening over in Europe. We're not bringing them home, but we're shuffling them around. So we'll see what happens there. All right, this one was brought to me by Midget B over in the Discord. Go over there and check that out, and you can join me in and throw other news stories in as well from the Daily Mail. Archive through Archive Today. Thank you, Midget B, for archiving that for me before you put it in. That makes it a lot easier and a lot quicker. Pedophile labor counselor who worked in children's home walks free despite being caught with over 1 million child porn images, including 12-year-old girls being raped. From Nick Irving for Mail Online. A pedophile labor counselor who worked in a children's home has walked free despite being caught with over a million child porn images, including of 12-year-old girls being raped. Roger Spackman, 50, who was a labor counselor for Exeter City Council until his arrest in 2017, worked at a secure uh, children's home at the time he started collecting his enormous hoard of images. Exeter Crown Court heard that he was part of an underground internet network called The Other Place. The police investigation in 2017, charged the two frontrunners with offenses and other members were exposed, but Judge Peter Johnson jailed Spackman for 10 months, suspended for two years with 40 days of rehab for uh, possessing a huge number of images. Spackman of Exeter, Devon, was arrested and 68 electronic devices were found at his home and examined. Judge Johnson said it was an astonishing number of images, which included the most serious category, A images, and others of category B and C. The judge said he was of good character and working hard in public service as a counselor in Exeter before his fall from grace, which has been dramatic. He said Spackman has been abused as a child and played a role of an abused child in this forum. So, yeah, this this is a person who shouldn't be walking free. Not in the least. But he's labor too, so it does look... This really rings of that two-tier justice system, one for the Clintons and one for everybody else here, because this is a labor guy. This is absolutely a labor guy, which is pretty much the progressive party in uh, the UK, as far as I know. Don't quote me on that. I don't know UK politics as well as I should. But as far as I know, yes, this is the, this is the party that is uh, 
close to the progressives and oh he was found with all these images and eh, oh, just let him walk don't worry about this nothing to see here so thank you midget b for bringing this up to my attention i'm actually gonna hold on to this because we might do this on monday as well all right let's do a thing that i like and a thing that i hate and then we'll head on out of here so thing that i like today because I'm a bit of a space nerd. Even though I don't like the fact that the government is getting involved in everything, I do like the space program and the fact that we're actually doing something with space. I would still rather see it come from the private sector, but you got to give and you got to take at some points here. But from CNN, Mars launch, NASA sends Perseverance rover to space from Ashley Strickland. The Perseverance rover and its Ingenuity helicopter are finally on the journey to Mars. The spacecraft carrying the rover and helicopter successfully launched to Mars Thursday morning aboard a United Launch Alliance Atlas V-541 rocket from Cape Canaveral, Florida at 7.50 a.m. Eastern Time. So probably, was that, 6.50 my time? Probably a little bit over an hour ago. Students Alex Mather and Vanessa Rupani who named the rover and its accompanying helicopter during two national contests earlier this year, were present for the launch. The control center at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, did experience some earthquake activity ahead of the launch this morning, but did not impact the launch. I'm exceptionally excited about what we're about to do because we're going to launch Mars 2020 with Perseverance robot, said NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine during a press briefing at Kennedy Space Center. But there's so much more going on here. This is the first time in history where we're going to Mars with an explicit mission to find life on another world, ancient life on Mars. After traveling through space for about seven months, Perseverance is scheduled to land at Jezero Crater on Mars on February 18th, 2021. The Mars 2020 mission launch occurs at near, uh, after nearly a decade of hard work and planning by thousands of engineers and scientists and specialists at NASA, centers across the country and their commercial partners. During the final stages of mission preparation, teams had to manage the difficulties of the coronavirus pandemic. I really just cannot say enough about how incredible the team was, said Michael Watkins, director of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. They really knuckled down and complete, uh, completed this on schedule and were ready to go. NASA has really come together as a family and it's really just been a surprisingly smooth experience given all the troubles from COVID. So, yep, we're headed for Mars. Looks like we've got a chart for when was the pro uh, proper time to go and launch because we don't want to shoot it across the sun for whatever reason. I don't know why we wouldn't want to shoot it across the sun, but we don't want to shoot the rocket across the sun. So, we will see what happens there, and that will be coming up. We'll see this in 2021, if we're all still alive, of course. All right, now let's do a thing that I hate. So, thing that I hate today, I went to Target last night because I forgot the mask, the little face diaper that the cabal of businesses decided to come together and force you to wear. And Target was packed, like parking lot was packed. The way that I used to see the Woodman's parking lot packed at the same time at night. Even more so, actually, because it was the only place. I actually went up there because they don't require you to wear a mask inside, and I didn't have one. And I've said on numerous occasions that I don't really mind doing it as long as it's the private business telling me to do so and not the government. And then I can assess whether or not 
I want to wear one and do business with a company or don't want to wear one and go find another place to do business with. And I thought all was well and good. This was almost the thing that I like. But as you can see on the screen here, that has changed for those of you who are listening along later. Keeping our guests and team members safe is our top priority. Starting August 1st, we will be requiring our guests to wear masks or face coverings in all of our stores, except for young children and those with underlying medical conditions. So, and I do believe that this is a part of, uh, I don't want to say mob violence coming from places like Walmart and Festival Foods and all the other stores in the local and national market that are going around there because everybody else has required, uh, required this already and Target hasn't. And I know for a fact that Target is taking business away from these other companies because they don't do the requirement because people want to go to Target because they don't have the requirement. Like I said last week, I do. I want to go to my local meat store because they don't have the requirement. I don't want to go to my local grocery store right now because they have the requirement. So I'm pretty sure that somebody came up to people in Target and said, we're going to start breaking kneecaps if you don't require the mask and, you know, keeping our team members safe. Well, is it safe from the disease or it's, is it safe from the broken kneecaps from the fact that you're taking the business away from all these other giants? We will never know. Somebody knows, but yes. Starting on August 1st, which is this coming Saturday, you do have to wear that mask if you're going to go into Target as well. So another place that I will be shopping at as limitedly as I can, as I can possibly manage, as limited as I can manage to go there, I will not be going there. And yes, I understand that on occasion it's going to happen, but as little as I can get there, I want to keep from going. And that's going to be a show today, so we're going to call it off of this. We will be back here tomorrow with more news and read the names of everybody and thank everybody who chatted for the week. So make sure that tomorrow you get in, you get your friends in, and I'll read all your names on the air from yesterday and throughout the week as well. I've got you all written down here and I'll be writing in Thursdays as well. So make sure you're here for that tomorrow. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar and this is Contemporary.